Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. That is Proverbs 23, 12, and we are going to listen and learn from Dr. Jared Brown again today as he instructs us on another important topic, executive function. What is it? What does it do? And how is it impacted by trauma and prenatal exposure to alcohol? I'm your host, Sandra Flack. Thank you for joining us for the seventh bonus episode in our series, What Every Adoptive and Foster Parent Needs to Know About Trauma, FASD, and ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences, with our special guest, Dr. Jared Brown. This series covers vital topics for all of us foster, adoptive, and kinship caregivers. I recommend you take notes during these episodes. I know I am. If you don't have a notebook handy, feel free to pause, go grab one, um, and then you can resume, or maybe just listen straight through the first time and then give a listen a second time and take notes then. Either way, I know you're gonna learn some really important information here today. Uh, Regular episodes of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey drop in your inbox on Mondays. This series with Dr. Brown These are bonus episodes that will be dropping on Fridays. If you're not yet a subscriber to this podcast, I would sincerely appreciate it if you would take a moment and subscribe. If you listen on an Apple device, please leave a review. It really makes a huge impact when you subscribe. Then it signals to the algorithm that this show is relative uh, relevant, I should say. It's relative, it's relevant uh, and important. And we all want uh, adoptive foster and kinship caregivers to find this show as a vital resource for their parenting journey. I know it's a show, a resource that I wish I had had many, many years ago when I was first on this journey. So uh, I hope you take a moment to subscribe. You can also reach out to us and let us know what you think of the show. Um, and let us know if you're being encouraged, if you have a comment, a question, any of the above, reach out by email at sandraflackjfo at gmail.com or directly through our ministry's website, justicefororphansny.org. I would also like to invite you to join our FASD support community. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope podcast and I are collaborating together to bring you Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for us caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community will include an online bi-monthly support group, one VIP conversation a month, a private Facebook group, which will include a video devotional every Saturday from Natalie or I, For more details or to join the community, visit justicefororphansny.org, click the training tab at the top of the page, and then FASD in the drop-down menu. Now to our guest, 
Jared Brown, PhD, is an assistant professor for Concordia University, St. Paul, Minnesota. Jared has been employed with Pathways Counseling Center in St. Paul for the past 17 years. Pathways provides programs and services benefiting individuals impacted by mental illness and addictions. Jared is also the founder and CEO of the American Institute for the Advancement of Forensic Studies and the editor-in-chief of Forensic Scholars Today. Jared has completed four separate master's degree programs and holds graduate certificates in autism spectrum disorder, other health disabilities, and traumatic brain injuries. Jared is also certified as a youth fire setting prevention intervention specialist, an anger resolution therapist, a thinking for a change facilitator, a fetal alcohol spectrum disorders trainer, an autism specialist, and a mental health integrative medicine provider. Please welcome Dr. Jared Brown. Hey, Jared, welcome back. Afternoon. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm grateful to have you back. Last week, we tackled that tricky subject of FASD and inappropriate sexual behaviors. Not an easy subject, but vital for parents and caregivers on this journey. Um, Today, uh, we're going to dive deeper into executive function or dysfunction uh, when it comes to individuals who have experienced trauma um, and including FASDs. Executive function, a mouthful. Executive function is something that has surfaced in every conversation we have had so far. So, Jared, why is that? What exactly is executive function? It's the boss of the brain. So think of it as the CEO of the brain. Some people call it like the the orchestra like the the person that's leading the orchestra in a a concert it really guides yeah the conductor absolutely and everyone with FASD has executive function impairments people with brain injuries people with attachment problems extensive trauma histories have elevated levels of executive functioning related impairments We all get executive functioning problems from time to time. The very nature of just being chronically sleep deprived or burnt out can contribute to this. Um, Just having our circadian rhythms thrown off. All of there's so many things that can, can throw this off, but there are populations that are absolutely more prone to this. But really, this is one of the most important topics we can discuss, in my opinion, when we're thinking about interventions, goal planning, treatment planning, even for caregivers and parents. So again, when we think of executive function, if we can really look through that lens, I think we're going to be in a much better position to understand why why people do the things they do sometimes. I think we can approach it in a, in a manner when, let's say you as a caregiver becomes overly frustrated with your child who continues to make the same mistakes over and over again, even though you've taught them kind of how to do whatever you're teaching them. I'll talk about all of this today. So when we think of executive function, boss of the brain, 
it's a multifaceted, multidimensional neural psychological construct. Under the umbrella of executive function, there's a lot of things. Working memory, inhibition, cognitive flexibility, abstract reasoning, all kinds of things. And we'll, I'll get into a lot of this today. A lot of you have probably heard of the, the topic of adaptive functioning. So that's kind of how that person functions in day-to-day -day life, their independent living skills. Executive function underlies adaptive behavior. So if you're going to understand adaptive functioning, you have to understand executive function. Executive function is also linked to social competence and theory of mind, as well as empathy. So if you know someone who has a lot of deficits in the area of social skills and perspective taking and empathy, there's probably a good chance that that person is also dealing with some level of executive functioning impairment. If you're developing a goal plan, at the heart of goal planning are executive functioning capabilities. When you think of executive function as well, got to understand the prefrontal cortex, the frontal lobes. So I encourage people, if you want to take your knowledge to that deeper level, really understand the prefrontal cortex as well, because the prefrontal cortex is involved in a number of higher order cognitive processes. Cognitive processes, think of the brain when I say cognitive cognition. Regulation of thought relates to this. So during times of stress, can we regulate our thoughts and to be able to put on the brakes and, and know that maybe we have a thought we want to say, but maybe now is not the, the best time to say that. I think it also relates to regulation of behavior. Thinking of how people regulate their behaviors has a lot to do with this. So if you're ever working with someone that has a lot of behavioral regulation issues, think of executive function. Again, that's not the only thing to think of. But if someone can't maintain their behaviors in a very healthy, pro-social manner, and if someone continually engages in maybe criminal activity, risk-taking behavior, impulse control problems. They can't seem to control their emotions during times of stress. Maybe they have reckless driving behavior. Maybe they have a tendency to always overeat. They have addiction tendencies. These are all things that executive dysfunction can really drive the bus on and make worse. So think of that as well. Personality expression is related to this as well. Decision-making, problem-solving, reasoning. Hopefully, just hearing a few of those things, people realize how important this truly is to understand executive function. Sandra, I'll stop for a minute, just see if you have any thoughts or any questions or anything I can go. Yeah, well, first I'll start by saying, I think it's the, a dog day because first my dog was barking and had to go out and then I just caught some of your dog <laughs> in the background. We'll leave that in because it wasn't, it wasn't as distracting as my dog was. But, um, so, so just to let our listeners know, we're just keeping it real here. This is what happens when you, you know, work from home, right? Um, but yes, because I, so many things come, come to mind. And I, I, I know that you said that if you have a child or an individual, 
prenatally exposed, they have an FASD, they have executive dysfunction. Um, that's, that's true right off the top. So this, this is so important here. Um, you mentioned work in mem- working memory. I know I had a list um, of what I knew, um, things like planning and prioritizing and organizing and task initi- initiation. Impulse control is a big one. Emotional control, flexible thinking. You mentioned decision-making and problem-solving. All of those things are part of executive function. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And how many people do you know who have extensive trauma histories or FASD deal with many of those? Yes. If not all of those things. Yeah. And is it, I, I know I remember getting trauma training years ago and it's like, I know, I know a lot of our children come and they, and they, they're kind of living in that, you know, base of the brain, that survival mode and then executive function, like you mentioned prefrontal cortex, the front part of the brain that doesn't really, you know, that's the part that's not really working when they're in fight, flight, or freeze, when they're having that meltdown, um, you know, managing all of those things. So um, this is just, this is a huge piece of this puzzle that really we've been talking about, because like I said earlier, we've talked about executive function disorder, um, disorder, executive dysfunction um, in almost every episode, if not every episode that you and I have done together, because it's such a big piece of this. Um, And it's, it's just, um, I'm, really wanted to take a deep dive into it because children who have experienced trauma, like you mentioned, um, including prenatal exposure to alcohol, they all have executive dysfunction. In fact, um, you know, executive function problems are a primary characteristic of an FASD. So Jarrett, how does trauma and FASD affect executive function? Like, what is that connection? Well, prenatal alcohol exposure can damage parts of the brain and really all the brain and all the body, depending on a whole host of factors. But one of the areas that is implicated in the impact that prenatal alcohol exposure has on the brain are those executive functions. If you add trauma into the equation after the fact, it just makes it worse. There are plenty of people that don't have FASD who have these issues as well. And trauma in and of itself can make it worse. I'm not saying every person that's had a trauma history is going to have these issues. Some may have some issues in a few areas and other areas may be pretty good. One day they may do pretty well in an area. The next day they may struggle. There's so many factors to take into account. How much sleep did they get the night before? The very nature of asking someone to multitask is not good for executive function. So someone's multitasking, if someone has distracted thinking where they're they're trying to do homework, but also send an email to a friend or talk on the phone, not good at all. Doing one thing at a time, one task at a time is good. Too much stress can throw off our executive function. Have you ever been really stressed as a caregiver by the end of the day and you notice your your thinking isn't as clear and 
you can't come up with the words and your memory's not working as much. You seem more irritable. You, you just seem to lack the motivation. Those are some things that may be indicative that executive function is, is not working as properly. Anytime, like I felt that, I feel that way a lot. And if I go on the treadmill for an hour, it knocks all that stress out. I feel totally fine. There's a lot of things we can do to make it better. Now, when we're talking about prenatal alcohol exposure and brain damage, we're not going to cure it. We can make it better. We can make it manageable. Absolutely. But just some th- couple red flag indicators to be on the lookout for that you might be dealing with executive function or you have a child or an adult, just careless actions, careless thinking, careless behaviors, not thinking before acting, that is a red flag indicator. Becoming emotionally overreactive to really small things and just that roller coaster ride of emotions. Now, again, it's not just executive function. Could it be they're sleep deprived? Could they be dealing with some digestive health issues? Could they be dealing with an untreated pain disorder? Who knows? There's a million things that can exacerbate this. The very nature of if you consistently see someone that has poor time management, poor planning, poor organization, misplaces items all the time, is forgetful, those are red flag indicators of some executive function problems. I'm not talking like a one-time thing, but like a pattern of these things over and over and over again. You mentioned task initiation, big, big, big problem for people with executive function. They may begin a task, but never finish it. They may not even know how to start the task because it gets overwhelming because for some people, time is kind of an abstract concept. What does a minute mean? What does an hour mean? What does a month mean? They get lost in thought. That is really something to be aware of there. If you're ever starting a goal plan, very important to take this into account by chunking things out, making it more manageable, defining what you're trying to do visually and practicing and coaching. That lack of insight as well, just high levels of gullibility, being taken advantage of, higher levels of suggestibility, These things have all been talked about within the executive dysfunction literature. Take FASD out of the equation. If we just look at childhood trauma, childhood trauma has been studied within the context of poor working memory. So if someone has poor working memory, think of it as your brain's mental workspace or your brain's post-it note. Maybe when your working memory is doing what it's supposed to do, You can hold four or five, six things in your working memory without writing it down. So I'm going to the grocery store. I forget my list at home. I know I have to get milk, eggs, bananas, whatever. We can hold several chunks in our brain. Now, if you introduce someone that's had extensive trauma or prenatal alcohol exposure, they may only be able to hold one thing in their memory. Maybe they can't hold anything and they need to always write it down and need lots of reminders. So the Working memory is our brain's post-it note. What do you want to know about that? You want to know if we overwhelm someone's working memory, their brains can shut down. 
they can become sensory overloaded. It can contribute to hyper arousal issues. So the person becomes more loud and boisterous and irritable, or you could see at the opposite side of the spectrum, they become hypo aroused and they almost look like they're falling asleep and they're sluggish and they're slow to respond to your questions. So be careful, not overwhelming working memory, writing things down, taking things off their working memory by writing it down on a piece of paper can help. Cognitive inflexibility is very common as well. Cognitive flexibility is like you're driving down the road in your car and you have a stick shift and you're, you're able to shift gears when you go faster and shift gears when you go slower, things work good. Cognitive flexibility is related to resilience adaptability, going with the flow, handling change pretty well. People with cognitive inflexibility can come off as more rigid. They can be just really narrow-minded sometimes, can frustrate other people, and it's their way or the highway sometimes. So cognitive inflexibility is a threat to resilience. So you want to be aware of that. Inhibition is the other big three. So working memory, cognitive flexibility, inhibition are like the big three under this umbrella that are talked about, but there's many, many other domains. In inhibition relates to really our internal parking brake. So our brakes work in the car, we stop at the stop sign, stoplight, maybe we park on a hill and we put the emergency brake on, things are good. If your brakes go out, and you come up to that stop sign, you go right through it, you go right through the lights. That can lead to a car accident, lots of bad stuff. When inhibition is not working in a person, more impulse control issues, more self-control, self-regulation problems, more problems with managing money, screen time misuse, maybe getting into fights, more likely to use drugs, more likely to go to jail, more likely to have health problems, more likely to say things to people that make them mad, losing jobs, not doing well in school. So teaching people self-control, so important for people to live a healthy life. Planning deficits are more common among people with extensive trauma histories, attentional deficits, and there's something called attentional regulation or effortful control, a lot, lot of domains with attention. But if you ever talk to someone and they don't seem like they're paying attention to you and they drift off and they're, everything else is catching their attention, that's a self-regulation deficit related to attention. Poor decision-making, be on the lookout for, and children with extensive trauma histories are more likely to have theory of mind deficits. So theory of mind, relates to perspective taking. What's that person's ability to understand internal mental states of other people like thoughts, wants, needs, emotions, intentions. Theory of mind is so important for children to be able to play with other kids on the playground effectively and all the way up to a manager in a company managing people, getting along with people, reading the situation, having empathy, having that give and take relationship and everything in between. So if someone has theory of mind deficits, 
There's research that point to the fact that they're more likely to be bullied and teased, more likely to have struggles with relationships. There's some evidence to support the fact that people with higher levels of theory of mind deficits may be more suggestible, more gullible, more prone to vulnerability and victimization, having difficulty reading social cues, detecting deception, using humor appropriately. So the list goes on. So those are just a few things that think about that where executive function comes into play. I'll kick it back to you, Sandra, for any thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, clearly it affects every part of every day, right? Of the individual. It, it just comes into play in everything, it seems. Um, I, I know you said if they've if if the individual has an FASD, it can't be cured, right? Because the brain has been damaged. Um, and, uh, but, and I, I know you said exercise can help, but can you share some more things like that? Because can executive dysfunction be reversed or improved, um, even in an individual with prenatal exposure? Are there some things that can help? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things we can do to make it better. So let's say you are developing a goal plan or intervention plan, whatever you're doing. Looking at this through an executive function lens, you really want to understand that person's ability to be flexible. So taking into account cognitive flexibility, behavioral flexibility, really focusing and teaching that person skills on how to be more adaptable, more flexible. How do we do that? A lot of patience, a lot of repetition modeling this, talking through things after the fact, getting caregivers on board to model this behavior. Because if a child's growing up in a home and the parents are very rigid and not adaptable, not flexible, that child's going to pick that up as well. Exercise has been shown to help with more flexible thinking. So maybe it's working with an exercise specialist looking at this through a nutritional intervention too, working with a nutritionist that plays a huge role in cellular health, gut health, brain health, sleep. People who are chronically sleep deprived might be a little more rigid, more tendency to be irritable, ruminate, fix the sleep. I always say these things all the time, but they do make a difference. If the person is not action orientated, where they lack really the initiative to start something. Maybe they're not being lazy, but they just don't know how to do that, that task initiation. Teaching them how to do that, taking your time, using some scaffolding approaches and interventions can be very helpful. Forward thinking abilities often are impacted. I can't count how many cases I've consulted on over the years where the individual with FASD or extensive trauma thinks in the moment, never thinks of tomorrow, a month from now, a year from now. It's a foreign concept. Thinking in the moment's not a bad thing if you're practicing mindfulness, meditation, that kind of stuff, that's good. But if someone is always living for the moment, how in the world are they ever going to plan for tomorrow, save money, make good decisions? So really looking at how they make decisions and are they always living in that moment for immediate gratification? 
helping them learn how to have delayed gratification is such an important skill. I encourage your audience to go on YouTube and type in the marshmallow test. It's a classic test that just shows the importance of self-regulation abilities and teaching kids delayed gratification and how that really can help them be more healthy adults throughout the lifespan. Maybe the person struggles with prioritizing. What I found helpful through an executive function lens, start with the easiest task first. Don't start with something that's overwhelming or, or really hard that's multi-step. The person's just probably going to throw in the towel and lack that grit and it's just too hard. I can't do it. Helping them accomplish small things can kind of give that person a taste of success. Maybe that person's never had a taste of success and their confidence is really, really low. Starting small, helping them build their confidence, their self-esteem, their self-efficacy. If they're dealing with any shame, address that. Shame's a huge barrier. That's a toxic emotion. It's traumatic emotion. We talked a little bit about the ability to, to resist distraction too. So maybe you're working with a specialist that uses some attentional training techniques. Maybe you're looking into neurofeedback or something on that lines too. There is some literature on neurofeedback and FASD. There's quite a few studies on neurofeedback and ADHD and autism. So maybe looking at that is a possible option. Stress is a big barrier and an amplifier for executive function problems. We know that stress, I'm talking more like a lot of stress and an FASD brain do not go good together. That brain becomes very overwhelmed quickly. So anytime we can teach that person healthy ways to reduce their stress, that's going to be good. Focusing on planning and organizational skills as well. We, Sandra, if you're, you're open, is we should do one just on planning and organization. There's so much to cover with that. A lot of tips, tips in the area of planning and organization. So if you look at this through an executive function lens, what are those critical steps that are needed to help someone achieve midterm and long-term goals? Now, accomplishing those short-term goals is important, but helping them achieve more long-term goals can set them up more for success in the area of like self-determination, choice-making, independency, independent living skills. Helping that person understand their own strengths as well as their own limitations. Not a bad thing to understand your limitations. I have numerous limitations. The more I can learn about it, they don't necessarily then always have to be limitations. Learning how to learn, knowing how to know, that's metacognition. So looking at some of the research on metacognition training, if you just Googled metacognition training and FASD, you'll find a couple articles on that. That might be something to look into with a qualified professional as well. Teaching that person that it's okay not to know the answer. Teaching them how to seek clarity when confused and teaching them to be able to voice when things are confusing, overwhelming, or they need more clarification. That's a huge skill to teach people. Easier said than done, I, I understand. Creating more balance in that person's life, I think is very helpful. 
So if that person is glued to their screen 10, 12 hours a day, which so many people I work with, they're on that screen all day long. That is not good for the brain. Creating more balance. If they're always laying around and living a sedentary lifestyle, that's not good. Laying around some and relaxing is good. Being on the screen some is good. Creating that balance, just really being aware. Helping that person to practice these things, coaching, modeling, teaching, role-playing, making things visual, I think making things concrete, really taking into account their processing speed issues as well. There's going to be a higher likelihood if you're working with people with some of these profound executive function deficits, their brains are not going to be processing information at the speed that you might be used to. So slowing, the, slowing things down. And if someone has processing speed deficits, it is a bottleneck in their brain, a traffic jam. You're in rush hour traffic, things come to a halt. That's processing speed deficits. Things might come to a halt in their brain. So you're a parent, you become agitated that your child didn't do the dishes that night and you've told them over and over and over again. That frustration, builds and builds. They can feel that. You're talking faster, lots of words, lots of commotion, lots of things to do, asking them to do multi-step instructions that can all overwhelm their working memory and put added pressure on their processing speed abilities. Sometimes I've seen this play out too. You ask someone a question and they have really bad processing speed. Before I knew this stuff, you ask someone a question and they sit there in silence and you feel like they're ignoring you when in fact their brain is just taking extra time. So as I learned about this, I literally sat back sometimes for 30, 40 seconds in silence. And then eventually that person answered that question. They had slow processing speed. They weren't avoiding the question. They just, their brain needed extra time to sift through and make sense of that. So one big, big tip, be okay with silence, one task at a time, keep the pace slow and calm and kind and patient. I found that very helpful. Again, none of this stuff isn't going to work perfectly every time, but if you move in that direction, I think it can absolutely help. I'll stop for a minute, Sandra, and I have a few more strategies I, I can share. Yeah, no, this has been great. It makes me think a lot. I know with, with my son, one of the things I learned early on was he, if I, I've always been a lecturer, you know, you did something wrong as a parent, right? My kid does something wrong. They have to have the big long lecture and I use a whole lot of words. And then with my kids with FASD, what I've learned is they don't catch even half of those words. And I've even learned it with giving him, you know, I'll give my youngest son, if I give a list of what would you like for breakfast? Do you want eggs? Do you want toast? Do you want cereal? He'll always pick the last thing I listed because he really couldn't remember the first two. Even if he didn't really want the cereal, he just, that was the last thing he heard me say. So that's the thing he would go with. And when I started realizing that after several days, I've learned to mix up the list so the poor kid doesn't end up picking the same thing every and ending up with the same thing every morning for breakfast. And maybe he didn't even want that. It was just the only thing he remembered. Um, but those were huge 
uh, eye-openers for me when I realized that my parenting style of giving a lecture is a big waste of time with children with an executive dysfunction, a slow processing pace. They're not getting all of that. I'm wasting my time. They're not catching all of those words. You brought up something as well with your child possible, possibly dealing with choice-making deficits as well. That comes up a lot in the neurodevelopmental disorder literature. It is sprinkled a little bit in the FASD um, articles, but you have to dig deep for it. But I see it all the time. So people with neurodevelopmental disorders, sometimes they struggle with choice-making as well in addition to information processing. So being aware too that choice-making deficits and what I'm talking about today, a lot of times go hand in hand. If someone really struggles with being able to make a choice, that really can get in the way of that person being gullible and compliant and just always go along with what other people are asking, even though they may not agree with it or even understand why they're agreeing to it. So choice making, another thing to be aware of. Yeah, and that makes sense because I know this particular kid will also, he's a teenager, but I'll, you know, when it's time to get dressed in the morning, um, I'll say, do you want sweatpants or jeans? And he'll say, I don't care, whatever you want. (laughs) And I'm like, well, I want you to pick which would you prefer to wear today? Or I'll take out a pair of sweatpants and a pair of jeans and set them on his bed. And which one of these do you want? And then he'll, he's able to pick. But he'd rather, he doesn't really care. He doesn't want to have to make that decision. But I'm trying to teach him to learn to make choices and make decisions. Um, But I I can see where clearly there is a deficit there. I have a really good training I put together on choice-making deficits among people with neurodevelopmental disorders. I'd be more than happy to share some nuggets of that in upcoming episodes as well. There's a lot of things we can do to help improve choice making among people with neurodevelopmental disorders. Yeah, that would be that would be great. So, Jarrett, what do parents and caregivers need to do to help support our children who have executive function challenges? I know you've listed off some things, but kind of zero in on what parents should be doing. Everything I've learned about this through training and consulting and my degrees, as well as experience and reading the literature, it really points to the fact, really identify realistic goals, things that are going to be attainable for that person's emotional, social, developmental, cognitive age, rather than how old they are on paper. Because when we're talking about neurodevelopmental disorders, I hate to be blunt about this. Their chronological age means very little to me. It's more how they function emotionally, behaviorally, and cognitively. So we really want to match that to how they understand language, how they understand vocabulary. So making sure it's realistic. So I hear this often. Again, maybe you have a... a, family member who has FASD who's 20, year old, 20 years old chronologically, but they function as a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old. You would be in a much better position to tweak your approaches to match that 10 or 12-year-old thinking with the goal of helping enhance that up to a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old, 15, and keep enhancing that over time. Target a specific set of skills as well. So 
maybe the person is really dealing with some working memory challenges or some self-regulation deficits. Target those specific areas. How do you target it? I think definitely working with people who understand this, but also ensuring, if possible, you, you received a really good evaluation from a qualified professional who can kind of give data to say, okay, this person, their adaptive functioning is low. Their working memory is not well. All of those things. So we know what we're dealing with, first of all. You want to weigh the pros and cons of the solutions as well. Sometimes when we talk about pros and cons, what in the world does that mean to someone who has abstract reasoning deficits? Making that concrete and visual. What does a pro really mean? What does that look like? What does it feel like? What does a con mean? Making it as concrete and visual as possible and not just practicing it in a controlled setting like a classroom or a therapy office, but then how do you take information and generalize it and use it in the community? Checklist can be very helpful. How-to-do list, labeling machines, things like that. Those things can help take pressure off the working memory. If the person is asked to do some sort of longer task, Maybe they need it chunked out. Maybe they can't do the task in one sitting. Think about if you're asking someone to do a multi-step instruction and you list off, okay, you need to do this, this, and this. And the person says, okay, got it. You come back an hour later, they haven't even started. Try not to get frustrated. Be curious about that. Could that be that they just agreed to something before you left? that they had no idea what they just agreed to. Their brain only picked up a third of it. Chunking it out, getting them started, showing them how to do it, come back in a few minutes, monitor, fact check, verify, scaffold it, breaking it down step by step by step. And you're building a brick house. So you're just one brick at a time. Take your time with it. This stuff can, takes time. Time Time organizers can be helpful. So if you tell your child you have 20 minutes left on your screen, a lot of times someone with FASD has no idea what 20 minutes feels like. And then after 30 minutes, you go up there. Why didn't you come down? Well, I still have 10 minutes left. Time can be abstract. So time helping transitions too. So if you give 20 minutes... Maybe the timer goes off at 15 minutes. You come up and you help them transition. Transitions can be very stressful for folks with neurodevelopmental disorders. And I would just say, too, just other basic things. Focus on relationship building. So whoever's doing the intervention or teaching strategy with the individual, they have a trusted, solid, stable relationship with that person. Using humor appropriately and effectively can be a good motivator. Becoming trauma-informed, attachment-informed, all of these things are going to play into this. Making sure wherever you're teaching the intervention, it's in a very calm, non-distracting environment that's safe and welcoming and positive and really monitor your own body language, your own voice tone, 
If you start becoming annoyed, maybe that's time to take a break, come back to it. Focusing on competence building can be very, very helpful as well. Sometimes I hear when you teach an intervention, go for a walk. Teach the intervention while moving. Sometimes that can help it get into the brain a little bit better. So then movement. If you know that person has sleep problems, maybe teaching that intervention right when they wake up in the morning is not the best time. You have to individualize this. So maybe sometimes the person learns best after a few hours of waking up, after a meal, after a good glass of water, whatever's going on. So, And really targeting any other kind of co-occurring issues. So if the person is dealing with depression or anxiety or sleep issues or gut-related problems, find professionals, treat these secondary issues. The more you can treat these distracting issues or sometimes underlying issues, that can have a positive impact on our overall brain health and functioning. Wow. Those are all just such amazing, such amazing, just things that we can begin really applying right away. Uh, it makes so much sense also from that perspective of if you're trauma informed, attachment informed, um, it really all just clicks together. Um, I know I've learned a lot of this with, with the different TBRI and empowered to connect training that I've had. Um, it, it makes so much sense. Uh, one thing I did want to ask you, um, Jared, is uh, several times on past episodes, you've mentioned an executive function coach. Um, so what does an executive function coach do and how or where would parents find one if they felt like my kid could really benefit from that? Well, if you go online and just type that in, there, there's a lot of folks that do this kind of work online where it's going to be using more approaches, I think, that are rooted in like coaching, modeling, teaching, role-playing, those kind of things. So it's not therapy. Now, in my experience, very few of these executive functioning coaches have in-depth training in FASD, unfortunately. Now, there might be some out there. I don't know too many. But if you can start finding like an executive function coach who has some experience, even working with people with attentional deficits and other kinds of things we're talking about today, that's a good start. And it's one piece of the puzzle. So making sure it's part of a multidisciplinary team. And these individuals can really help people improve organization, time management. A lot of these executive function coaches, at least when I've seen online, Work with kids that struggle in school. So really take that into account as well. I actually have a micro-credential in executive function as well. And just I really look through this lens. And I think it is so, so vital, especially when you're raising a child that has a neurodevelopmental disorder, to learn about this and just use these approaches. Even if you're working with a therapist, if that therapist can really look through this lens, it's going, I think, to lead to better outcomes in counseling and therapy. Because if that therapist always relies on insight-based therapeutic approaches, and again, if that therapist is asking a lot of how and why questions to someone with FASD, that can be very tricky because of abstract reasoning deficits and these executive functioning problems and we need to be aware that this is not a short-term solution. 
it's not like you're going to meet with someone one or two times and things are a-okay. Usually this stuff takes time. And if we're talking about FASD per se, we know that that is a lifelong neurodevelopmental disorder. So there's a higher likelihood that that person may need some support and services for the rest of their life. I'm not saying it's they have to have services every single day, all day long, but every person is uniquely different and has those unique strengths as well as weaknesses. So really individualize it to that person. Such such great insight. I appreciate that, Dr. Brown. Now, now um, as we, because you've just so much information um, that we that you've discussed and that you're always giving with us. So as we wrap up, what would be, let's give us the top three things that you think parents should, you know, what should they take and do today to help support our kids with an executive fun- dysfunction? Slow down. Just talk slower, take your time, more patience, take more breaks, chunk it out. I think that that can be very helpful. I think it's important, too, to really set realistic goals that are matched to their chronological, emotional, and developmental age. And there's a million other things I would say, but one, I guess the third one would be just fact check and verify. Don't rely on those facial head cues if they get it. Check in, come back, chunk it out, break it down. If you use yes or no questioning, back check and verify that that person understands, comprehend, really comprehends what you're saying. And if they get it today, don't assume they have mastered it forever. Be okay with having to come revisit this over and over again. Because some of these things will take time depending on the level of impairment that person is dealing with. Yeah, that's, I mean, I just, we just encountered something like that recently with one of our teenagers because I was going over, um, just kind of repeating a script of, I was using the word, um, you know, that's, you know, this is not appropriate. We don't do things that are not appropriate. We do things that are appropriate. And of course, the whole time I'm talking to my son, he's saying, I know. I know, I know. And then something made me stop and say, do you know what the word appropriate means? And he said, mm, no. So, you know, we have to, like you said, fact check, right? Ask, because if you're using words, don't just assume that they understand the words because part of that processing pace, right? And and that comprehension. So I had to break down it, you know, so I'll use appropriate, but I define it as right and good. This is appropriate. This is right and good. So he can begin to understand what appropriate, what that word means if he hears it, because you may hear that in school or you may hear that in other settings. Um, but what does it mean to be in, to be inappropriate? Well, it's not right and it's not good, right? So just because they even say, you know, I know, I know, or, you know, when we ask that question and they say, I don't know, you have to fact check and verify. So such good such good solutions and, and always, Dr. Brown, such invaluable information that you're sharing with us. And I know there's, I, I took so many notes, so I know to, to make you give us just the top three, but I feel like sometimes that can get us started. Give us the top three. I can go tackle that and then I'll, you know, then I can be off to the next thing. So um, I really appreciate it for that you breaking down executive dif- dysfunction for us today. 
Um, and I'm looking forward to our next episode. I believe next time we're going to be talking trauma and self-regulation deficits. Um, that's what we're going to be talking about. It's a great segue from what we talked about yeah. today. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's do that. Um, and I look forward to talking with you then uh, next week about that. So um, I hope our audience will stay tuned to that. So thank you so much, Dr. Brown, for just sharing that information with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for allowing me back on your program. And I can't wait till next time. Looking forward to it. And thank you for joining us today for this special series with Dr. Jared Brown on executive function, the boss of the brain. It is a vital topic parents must not only understand, but we really need to parent through the lens of that understanding every day because executive function affects just all aspects of daily living, um, especially for our kiddos who struggle so much. So um, be sure to join us next week with Dr. Brown as we talk about self-regulation. We have several episodes lined up to do with him and these bonus episodes really kind of just diving deep into the brain and all of what's what's going on there so that we can have a better understanding as parents. So I hope you're enjoying these episodes. Give us a shout out so that we know that you're enjoying them. And remember, our regular episodes drop on Mondays. Be sure to catch those along with these bonus episodes. And since September is International FASD Awareness Month, all of our September regular episodes will focus on FASD, a topic every adoptive foster and kinship caregiver needs to know about. Again, if you have any questions for me or for Dr. Brown, please email me at Sandra Flack, JFO at gmail.com. So we can answer your question. I can get it to Dr. Brown, um, or perhaps we can even discuss that question uh, on the podcast and you can get an answer that way. If you enjoyed the show, again, be sure to let us know by subscribing and leave a review. Also, let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know about this podcast so that they can listen and be encouraged and equipped as well. As I mentioned, uh, my conversation with Dr. Brown, we were given zero resources when my uh, boys uh, got diagnosed. They, they did get diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, but you know what? I got the diagnosis and they got the diagnosis, I should say. And we were told something about, well, you might want to focus on life skills. Have a nice day. We did not get a single resource or any information where we could find resources or supports. And I'm talking above and beyond, you know, early intervention and stuff that our kids get that way. But what about parents? What did we need to know? Um, I did not know what we did not know. And I didn't really know what I that I needed to know any of it until my boys hit their teens about 10 years later. And then I started realizing, hmm. This is more than just the trauma. This is more than just the attachment. This is more than just teenage hormones. What is going on? Uh, and that's when I took my deep dive into FASD. So I hope that um, these episodes and the more we talk about it, the more supported you feel, the more resources you have access to. Now, in addition to our Hope for the FASD journey community that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we offer 
an introduction to FASD training. It's an online training, or I can come and do it to, for a group in person. Um, it's a 90-minute training about FASD uh, for parents and professionals. We will be offering it uh, in October. Uh, it, you can stay tuned to our website because we're going to nail down a day to offer an online class. Um, but you can find more information there. And as soon as I know the exact date, we'll start announcing it on the next episode. Uh, in the coming months, again, I also will be uh, adding facets workshops as I become a facets uh, a facilitator of the facets neurobehavioral model. You can learn about all of our trainings and everything that we're offering and doing on my website, justicefororphansny.org. Remember, September is International FASD Awareness Month. We want to make this invisible disability visible. JFO is an FASD United affiliate, and we are here to support and serve you here in New York State, especially. You can check out my book about our family's adoption journey and kinship journey, um, how we learned about trauma and FASD and all of those things. Um, in my book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father, it recently won Memoir of the Year. I'm super excited about that. Um, so you can check out my book. You can get it wherever you get your books. If you'd like a signed copy, you can visit my personal website, sandraflack.com. We also like to always shout out, uh, give a shout out to um, a couple of businesses, a few businesses. We have four actually who help us uh, support JFO and help us do the work that we do with vulnerable children and families. Uh, and that would be Trinuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, National Bank of Kuksaki, and Coleman Insurance Agency. These businesses care about children and families in crisis. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. You can also follow my uh, profile page at Sandra Flack and Sandra Flack Author. I'm on both Facebook and Instagram. I am grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.